Please be seated. And no worries, the Dean Ian and Dean Melody have arranged to be having a lovely dinner with me tonight. So if I say anything too nasty, <laughs> they, will, they will have me. So there will be no harangues about the fact that there's no Old Testament lesson. <laughs> there will be no charges of Marcionism against the worship committee. I will leave that to you all to, to worry about. I am going to talk about Galatians. You may follow along in your Bibles if you like. Hopefully there's Bibles in the pews these days, although it may be that there aren't. Um, hint, hint. <laughs> Galatians 6, 1 to 10. It was read very, in a very lovely manner. And uh, the hymn that we walked in on, Come Labor On, in terms of the harvest and the seed and our beautiful new windows with Jesus sowing of the seed. And here we have Galatians Paul and Galatians talking about sowing the seed. Uh, it's a perfect storm. It's, good. it's a good time to preach on Galatians. So let's jump in. I thought we'd jump in around verses 7 to 9. Don't delude yourselves. No one makes a fool of God. A person reaps what he sows. I'm sorry to say this, but that was ripped right out of the Old Testament. <laughs> Right out uh, I, a year or two ago, I, I was reading a new book by John Goldengay, who's a wonderful scholar, entitled, Do We Need the New Testament? Um, <laughs> each year, I become more convinced. <laughs> uh, this is right out of Hosea chapter 8, verse 7. Um, I'll read this from uh, Peterson's translation. If you plant wind seeds, you're gonna harvest tornadoes. That's essentially what Paul is saying as well. A person reaps what he sows. Or, this, or verse eight, the beginning of that. Those who keep sowing seeds in the field of their old nature in order to meet its demands will die and rot as nature dictates. Just a, uh, a critical note here, that's bad. <laughs> The Bible does not uh, try to put a sugar coating on death and decay and, and rotting in the grave. It's categorically a bad, bad thing. We don't like death. God abhors dying. Second half of verse eight, if you plant only for your own benefit and contribute nothing of substance to life, you will harvest nothing but selfishness. Selfishness weeds instead of the good, the good grain. Um, again, this idea of harvesting nothing or harvesting only weeds, straight from Hosea chapter eight, verse seven. Wheat with no head produces no flower. If you are sowing weeds, you're not gonna get any bread or any, any flour, any wheat. So we're looking here for substance, our passage from Galatians is all about where we can find something substantial. Fortunately, we get a uh, immediate answer to that in verse 8b, the second half of verse 8. But those who keep sowing in the field of the Spirit of God's life breath 
will reap from the Spirit. And then the NRSV translates this everlasting life. You read that correctly, but um, again, I'm sorry to say this is ripped right out of the Old Testament. Do we need the New Testament? Um, this is, and we know this by tracking down the Greek phrase, um, zoain ionian. See, I know a little Greek. Um, if you look at that in the Septuagint, it only appears once in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The, uh, the Hebrew here, and you can read the Hebrew of Galatians in the modern Hebrew translation, is chaye olam. Chaye olam. Um, that, when you really hear what this is really about, you get a completely different notion than everlasting life might, uh, might um, convey. Because if you go to Daniel 12, the context is all about substance, what we're looking for, what is substantial. For Daniel chapter 12, where this verse occurs, it's all about the resurrection, the bodily, corporeal resurrection. Nowadays, with sermons I'm hearing, you've can't just say resurrection, <laughs> you've got to make sure we're talking about bodily, corporeal resurrection. That's substantial, that's substance. The faithful dead are the ones who awake embodied to chaye olam. So the, the Hebrew term olam, can everybody say olam? It's a good word, olam, olam, it's not hard. Um, it never refers to absolute, timeless, and infinite eternity. The idea that olam is heavenly light and joy in Jesus' otherworldly presence does not fit the Bible. It's too ethereal, it's too dualistic, it's too, must I say it, it's too Greek. It's not Hebrew enough. No, rather olam is living, breathing, embodied life. But not just biological life, it's life bound to a living point of reference in God's own multi-dimensional, expansive life. Life that covers both the spiritual and the material. Life that bursts out of three dimensions, four dimensions, five dimensions, however number of dimensions there are in reality. This is life, as Karl Barth knew well, that bursts into and grasps and is powerful in every single dimension. That's substance, that's substantial. So this whole phrase, chaye olam, in verse eight of our passage, might better be paraphrased as life of durability, life of hypervitality, life of solidity. Um, good illustrations from C.S. Lewis's destruction of how Jesus could walk through walls. We think he might be ghostly, he might be a, a Greek dualistic spirit or something like that, but C.S. Lewis, I think, had a much better image. What if we were beings who felt that um, a bank of fog was a solid door. If I then walked through that bank of fog easily and painlessly, it would seem like I must be ghostly to be able to move through that solid bank of fog. But the reality is, no, I'm incredibly substantial. I'm incredibly vibrantly durable, standing tall, standing strong. Um, or if you prefer the mystics, St. Teresa, the little flower, talked about the reign of God as being a place where a grain of, every grain of dust is a diamond, a hard and beautiful 
diamond. That's, again, the substance that we're after in this passage. So olam is firm. Olam is sublimely substantial. It stands tall. It has a good head of grain. As the Passion Translation puts verse 8 of our passage, God's children will reap beautiful fruits. Beautiful fruits grow from the everlasting life of the Spirit. And that translation of olam is right on. The Bible is not about contemplating earthly life so as to leave it, complete it and leave it, and enter a new land of light and and joy in the uh, presence of Jesus, but the, but the Bible is about the life power of God's ultra-firm existence permeating our bodily, corporeal world and raising up to life the good spirit seeds that lie waiting here among and within us. So the question then becomes, now that we know what is substantial in existence, how do we get these good seeds of expansive, substantial life planted? How do we do this planting in our experience, or in the words of the hymn, what does it mean to labor on in service of the gospel? Well, fortunately, our passage tells us Paul is not quiet about this in the text that we're reading. As early as verse 2, he says, bear one another's burdens, and in this way, you will rise up to tall standing the Torah's true meaning, which the Messiah upholds. That term, again, looking at the Hebrew behind the Greek, and it's pretty easy to find the Hebrew. It's the verb kum, kum, to raise, to erect, to get standing up, tall, firm, high. Which you raise up the Torah. The whole phrase in Hebrew is tekai mu et Torah. So the law of Christ doesn't capture it. Torah is catechism, um, just life of discipleship, teaching. When sown, quality seed rises, sprouts, and yields wheat and flour and beautiful fruit. When the child of God dies to self, that child rises up with the resurrected Jesus to rich, sumptuous, embodied life. When Torah discipleship is embedded deep down in the soul, its true meaning cannot help but spring up in God's reign. So what is this law of Christ, this Torah Mashiach? Well, great Hebrew prophets and apostles in both testaments had the gift of capturing the Torah in a nutshell. The Torah Habakkuk, for example, you can read in the book of Habakkuk, the righteous live by faithfulness, faith. The Torah Micah is found in the book of Micah. Um, what, what do we do? Do justice, love, kindness, chesed, walk humbly. The Torah Amos, we heard just a few days ago in the Sunday readings, seek me and you will live. And for the Torah Shaul, the Torah of the, the Apostle Paul, we just have to read up a little bit earlier in this Galatians passage in chapter 5, verse 14. He makes it quite clear what the Torah Shaul is, love your neighbor as yourself. I'm sorry to say this, he ripped it 
right out of the Hebrew Bible. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Do we need the New Testament? The more I'm doing this. The Babylonian Talmud also says the same thing. Rabbi Hillel did the exact same thing that Rabbi Paul is doing. He summarized, he encapsulated the Torah in the words of Leviticus 19.18. The Torah HaMashiach. The Torah HaMashiach. The Messiah did not negate the Torah nor replace the Torah. The Torah of the Messiah and the Torah of Moses are one and the same. We prime this Torah to spring up firm and fruitful when we bury the selfish world and its old nature with Jesus on Good Friday. We effectuate it when we stoop down to carry others, putting aside everything connected with insisting on our own way. What matters to God for human history is to see God's life power extend to all dimensions of spiritual and terrestrial existence so as to permeate and firm up and erect all things and all people. What matters is being a new creation. You get primed and pumped for it by sowing the right seeds, the kind of seeds that let themselves die in the ground so that they can spring up morphed into something beautiful, incarnate, and massive when God raises up us all at God's reign. Amen.